But in the morning games, you have to kind of be creative around, they have that only one, now you're missing two eating opportunities. You have one pre-game meal, they may not eat enough because they don't have an appetite early in the morning. Now you gotta have something quick and digestible earlier in there in the game, uh, before that, an hour and a half before, give them a smoothie or something of some sort so that way they can start building that up. And then that's where that you have those differences. So it's all about timing. Timing is everything. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugal Chest. Before going into the episode, I want to thank our sponsors, starting with the DOYSC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young strength coaches wanting to go into the field of strength and conditioning, whether that's CSCS prep, GA or internship opportunities, or even live discussions, they are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I will put the link to the Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is the software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with the elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. Team Builder is full of tools that coaches need like multiple max training methods, 16-plus reports, evaluation testing, goal setting, to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with team builders and house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. So please be sure to like, rate, subscribe, even share this podcast with a fellow coach or a fellow in iron. I'm your host, John Mark Raspberry, current strength coach over at Bolivar Central High School. And I have today on um, the assistant AD for sports nutrition over at LSU, Mr. Matt Frakes, or I should I should say Dr. Matt Frakes. I'm um, good. <laughs> I'm not one of those guys, man. I appreciate it either way. <laughs> yes, sir. So uh, tell the listeners about uh, kind of your journey into strength and conditioning, how did you end up at LSU and kind of your career? Yeah, so um, as far as SNC, so I'm primarily just only in nutrition. Um, I leave that to the experts that I work with every single day and just see how I can support them on um, whatever that they have in their craft and their design for uh, their phase of the season and their training programs and modalities, how I can support them on the nutrition component of it. So, um with that being said, so I started off, um, so I played collegiate football, played at Bowling State University, um, Ozzy, um, and then alongside with that, so I did my undergraduate and also my master's there. Uh, once I got done, I kind of uh, went into, you know, in the private sector a little bit. I was assistant general manager uh, for uh, Urban Active at the time, so just at a, at a gym. And uh, try to play a little indoor football at that time, so it was just time for me to kind of go back to school and, you know, hang it up and then actually, you know, figure out what to do with my career. So um, I went to my dietary internship, completed that, went into um, actually as my first position as a clinical dietitian and also my private practice, superior nutrition and performance, uh, which I've been doing some uh, side things here and there for that. Um, and then alongside with that, I had a position open up at Ole Miss at the time. Um, that was a graduate assistantship. Talked with Dr. Valiant. Uh, she was great. She gave me some great feedback as far as as to um, you know just behind the metrics of getting a PhD and the value it would bring to my skill set. Um, and you know being a rarity of having that doctorate, as well as being a minority in the, um, as far as in the state. So 
it was something I wanted to do and prove myself wrong when I first graduated my family. Um, so it was kind of just set the tone and set the bar high for uh, those after me. So I went to Ole Miss, was the dietitian for baseball, track and field, uh, volleyball, and then also handled some things as far as when it comes to concussion recovery. Sorry, not volleyball, men's women's golf. Um, then after that, actually, we, my wife and I, so she was my fiance at the time, uh, our son Kingston was, uh, was born. That $12,000 stipend wasn't going to go far, so I had to get a real job at the time, and then uh, Dr. Berlin gave me her blessing because I finished up collecting all my data and then went ABD, all but dissertation, um, so took the job at University of Louisiana Lafayette, so I was the associate director of performance nutrition there, um, and that was my first lead job and associate job or director job there, uh, where I worked with Candace Walls and Kaylin Stitcher and a lot of other strength coaches there. So we was a, you know, a component of under being under strength conditioning athletic development there. So after that, my father actually found out he had passed after I got married uh, with cancer. So I moved back closer to home, uh, was with my dad throughout that time. It was just time for me to kind of get back closer to family. So I moved from Louisiana Lafayette uh, to Louisville, Kentucky, which is where my mother's side of family's from. And I had a position there, uh, Dr. Pat Ivey gave me a call, and also Melissa Krausen. Um, so I was the actual, took a step down, took, was the sports dietitian for men's women's basketball, um, and also volleyball there um, as the sports dietitian for them. So that was a great year that I had there, uh, phenomenal year, um, phenomenal networking. And then also that's when I was at the actual women's tournament, um, and we was uh, actually uh, about to play Stanford the day before uh, in the Elite Eight. At that time, we actually uh, got a call from, from Notre Dame, uh, from an athletic director. And then I guess the uh, Coach Kelly at the time heard about me. And then also um, the administration heard about me as well. And they had a job opened up and asked if I wanted to get back into football because I've been out of football for so long, for five years at that time, that I took every job and opportunity that was away from it. Uh, just kind of learn and kind of build my skill set around just from female athletes and then also from Olympic side and just so I can just get a feel for anything outside of that. Um, so I took the director of performance nutrition job at uh, University of Notre Dame, primarily over football. I had Lee Hullett as the associate director of performance nutrition, so she controlled all the Olympic sports. Um, and then that was a great actual six months. Uh, and it was a short six months because we found out that Coach Kelly was going down to LSU. And then literally the day of, we found that out. And then right after he had that the team meeting, I went to the hospital for my daughter to be born. <laughs> so I didn't know what was going on, what was going to happen in my career. Uh, you know, who the head coach was going to be, if I was going to stay in Notre Dame, all that stuff was crossing my mind, but I was looking at, like, you know what, I just got to get my daughter born first, <laughs> so she was scheduled for inducement that day, so we was at the hospital, next thing I know, my man called me, um, Coach Kelly called me the next day, and then, uh, you know, just gave me insight of what the, what everything was there, what they had to work with resource-wise, and then just how, Everything was there, the skeleton was there. We just got to put it together and then organize it the way we want to and build the dream the way we always wanted to. Um, so therefore I had you know, a few days to think about it, uh, talking over my wife, he talked to my wife on the phone that day as well. Said, congratulations, put your wife on the phone, talk to her and then, <laughs> and so he congratulate her. And the next thing I know, um, a couple of days later, I, I say yes, opportunity. And then we on a flight down to, 
uh, Louisiana State University as an assistant AD of, of performance nutrition. So uh, now I'm here. It's been a great year and some change. Uh, we made a lot of changes and a lot of adjustments. We built the team drastically, made a lot of implementations of everything when it comes to athletic development, sports science, performance nutrition, performance innovation, um, and then also sports medicine and having everything be an integral part to what we've been developing with this program as team and to develop them into developing these young men into who they uh, deserve to be. And then also just changing this program around uh, from what it was to the LSU that everybody knows and the success of LSU everyone knows. So we're continuing to build on it. Um, we're gonna continue taking care of these guys and hopefully, you know, continue getting those national championships. And that's the that's the end goal. So we'll see. Man, that, that's, that's a crazy journey, you know, that that's incredible, man. That I don't even know how I don't even know how to say like how to react to like just that journey of, you know, going to big schools like Notre Dame and LSU and doing what you're doing there and having, you know, just the journey that you have, man. That that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. It's still not done. <laughs> the book's still being written. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So Let's get into the first segment here. So try basic tricks and tips. This is where you give us a trick or a tip that you gain in your experience as a coach. So this could be in the weight room. This could be in your sports dietitian, um, you know, nutrition. It could be in Google Sheets, the field court. Just a trick or a tip for um, any coaches out there. And I'm going to keep it simple, to be honest with you. One thing I learned as far as and from failures and also successes through this is that not being someone that goes in there guns blazing with everything that you want in your vision. You got to be present and then also you got to take your time to learning and assessing truly what's going to be fit a fit for that culture. So I would say take a step back, assess the situation, find out where the weak points are, find out what went wrong and then build around that, then put your touch on everything you want in your expertise in that scenario situation, play the long game. Um, so I would say that's that's gonna be the main point when it comes into that trick is this being present and assessing the situation before you just change everything right then and there, or before you implement and strategize your, your, um, your resources and strategize everything you wanna build in that program. Yeah, I think that's really important, especially for like younger coaches out there that are eager to go into that head sports job or that head strength conditioning job or even at the high school realm to, you know, to manage the weight room and manage these sports. Like I remember a couple of years ago when I got in the high school setting, I mean, I was ready guns blazing. I was ready to implement A, B, C, D thing and, you know, just go all out. But I mean, like things like that take time. Right. Rome yep. wasn't built in a day. You know, it, it takes time to build a program. It takes time to build your what you want implemented into that program. So I think that's a really great point, especially for younger coaches out there. Thank you, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm with you. So obviously we're our topic today is going to be about sports nutrition. Um, yep. I mean, you've been the director of uh, sports nutrition. Now you're the associate or AD. Associate AD of Sports Nutrition. Assistant AD, yep. So, I mean, 
I think it's something that's missing in the high school realm. Yeah. Um, with, especially with the high school kids. I mean, you probably know as best as I do that high school kids, especially teenage boys between the ages of 14 to 18, are really not focused on their nutrition. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's something that can maximize their performance on the field, just overall yeah. health. So talk to us a little bit about what you do at LSU. How do you get how do you get like incoming freshmen that are coming straight out of high school to be on a a program, like a sports nutrition program, in order to maximize their performance, in order to get them healthier? Yeah, hundred um, percent. So one thing you gotta take in consideration of the region and the environment they come from. Uh, their background, and then also um, at what point are they familiar with performance nutrition and sports nutrition tailored towards their performance and also recovery. Um, So once you kind of figure it out, because as far as resource-wise, you're getting kids across all the country or for here specifically, Louisiana first, and then everywhere else around that. um, And then you're kind of getting a feel for what environments they have with food and nutrition as well. Um, and with those environments, some come from food deserts, some come from grocery stores that takes miles uh, to get to, some come from impoverished communities, some come from um, elite programs across the country, some come from uh, programs where they have um, coaches who are sound in nutrition and that put and build that foundation for those student athletes to be great and to knowing that what you consume and then how you build your foundation now with what you have food wise it builds a foundation around your development and it builds the longevity and the health of you to be able to participate and have availability uh, as the competition increases um so with that being said for us what we do here is i assess first get to know all my players first uh, talk to them about where they come from and all that and then we have our curriculum that we end up teaching them around in our team talks around Okay, what's the pitfalls that we have? What, what's the failures that you're around? What do you not know? Um, and then build the curriculum around that on an annual basis. So, um, but the foundation for us for their excellence is always building the curriculum around what choices they have, uh, their consistency of making those choices, uh, the preparation and them to be able to make those consistent choices and also what they put around them to make great nutrition choices. Um, and then also the timing of when it consumes certain things, because all of those four parameters go into, uh, for me and how I view it and how big my curriculum is around that, uh, for them to end up having the, the best ability to have excellence in uh, what they need to do to be a great athlete and to be available and to be healthy and to prevent a non-contact injury, Okay. Um, so with that, we have those conversations around that, build around that. We always assess them, find out what their blood work is at first, find out what they are deficient in, find out where their body composition is, um, and then tailor their goals individually around what they need to develop into based on the programming that Coach Flint and his staff has around what we're doing in the phase of the season. Um, and then because me and him, we go through those ways. We go through the DEXA scans. We go through where they currently are, where we have the conversation around Coach Flint. Okay, when you talk to the coaching staff, tell them this is what we're thinking as far as when it comes into their development at what stage they are and before they get to the to the end goal 
of what they want them to be. And then we all go through that as a team, um, as a unit, to figure out, okay, what they can develop now, how much mass can they put on, how much lean mass they can put on, um, and have the right proper weight. And then also align that with their velocity, align that with their force outputs, align that with their testing as far as to show the performance is increasing as well. Um, and then alongside with that continuous assessment around them to be healthy, the amount of times they're seeing a training room for what types of injuries and to ensure that when they have something occur, it's, it's, a, from, it's not from a, a preventable situation, whereas you're not hydrated enough. So now you're having hamstring or soft tissue injuries to where now you're having um, certain bone breaks and tears from a non-contact because you're having a stress fracture because you don't fuel enough, you don't eat enough, and then your vitamin D is deficient, things like that. So uh, for us, we always start there, and then we align our communication and education to those athletes around those scenarios and putting all those things together while also putting together what their weekly goal weights need to be to get to that end goal, what, how much lean mass they need to develop and become. So something popped in my mind as you're kind of talking through here. So obviously when we're talking about athletics, right, they go through the weight room and they go on the court field, whatever they sprint, do uh, polymetrics, whatever y'all do at LSU. I mean, how do y'all track about how many calories that these athletes lose? Because when you're going through the weight room, when you're going through, you know, sprints and doing even playing the sport, that you're playing. I mean, how do you know how many calories these athletes are burning per day and how to refuel them for recovery and things like that? Yeah. And that's the thing too, man. So it's very hard to track and monitor and pinpoint exactly how much they are burning um, because you have environmental factors. You have factors of them um, having excessive sweat depending on the environment as well. That can actually allude to um, as far as caloric expenditure you have also the intensity and activity level that's being done so all those factors is very hard to do um for uh calorimetry so calor calorimetry uh so uh when you're looking at those things it, it's, it's very hard to pinpoint exactly how much you're losing in their spending what you can do is you can theoretically kind of see as far as based upon their position frame size um, and then how much that you're typically seeing that they need on an average day based upon mental stress and physical stress, uh, especially with academics being considered. So right now, everything's done directly. It's very hard to pinpoint exactly how much calories they're expending. But what you can do overall, and then what I've seen as far as throughout my career, and we're going to get better at this with more internal research, um, but you know, just figuring out as far as what we need to do when it comes into giving them exactly what they need based upon how much lean muscle mass they have and based upon also uh, the player load that is being shown to us on a consistent and daily basis. So when we're doing that and you align your caloric intake around that, uh, they've been more so healthier. And then also it's not more so the mental stress on them to really think about they have to be perfect all the time with the nutrition. A lot of times first you meet the calorie needs first and then you map around the nutrition and you map the nutrients around that. Um, so, because if they're not meeting certain calories and they're not as far as if they're not meeting those foundational things of hydration and the caloric intake, then everything else is not gonna connect the dots. Um, and it's not gonna take care of itself and the body is not gonna uh, transform the way you want it to and develop the way you want it to. So that that's where it's like, okay, is it worth looking at more so how much they're spending first 
and, and pinpoint that or is it more worth uh, having them fix their habits around what they need to consume and meet the theoretical needs and then meet those needs based upon their position and how often they're going to get snaps uh, to ensure that they can stay healthy and to ensure that they're meeting those needs to not have fatigue um, that is going to be basically you're constantly fueling them. Uh, they're going to have fatigue, but is it going to be more so something that you can give them with constant fuel throughout that progression of that and their development and their training um, and their basically their endurance capacity throughout the phase of the actual competition and practice. So I'm just giving them the, the right type of nutrients and fuel around that. So that way they can meet that. And then you're not really too far dictated around. Okay. I don't know how much they're spending, uh, but if we meet this first, they should be okay. And nine times out of 10, they're going to be okay as long as they just eat. That's the biggest issue is that they don't manage their time enough to eat and they don't manage their time enough to eat the right things at the right time. I've seen on TikTok, social media, that there's some sports nutrition programs that have like presets meals for them, whether that be breakfast mm-hmm. or after, yep. um, after uh, workouts or after practice. Sometimes I've seen, I have a buddy that was an intern at the University of Memphis that had like a cup of whey protein after they just got done with football practice, either football practice or um, uh, a workout session in the weight room. So is that something that y'all do at LSU? And what foods do y'all know? It's like, okay, they need this food, this food, this food. I know like when we talk about like protein, you know, you talk about beef, steak, chicken, that sort of thing. But how do y'all know like what foods to feed your athletes to maximize their performance? Yep. So that's why those assessments come into play. How much lean muscle mass they have and then what goal we want them to get to. Um, so because we meet the protein needs first and we typically go around uh, 2.2 grams per kilogram of basically overall total weight. Um, and then in meeting at the minimum, we got to meet at least one gram per pound. Um, so a fat-free mass at the minimum, that's just the minimum, that's just to maintain the current fat-free mass that they have. So that's why we end up doing that. And then you map around as far as their intake of how much protein they need to have each meal and feeding opportunity, um, based around their schedule academically. And then what times you need to tell them to go eat around that. So obviously we have your, in operation standpoint, we have your post-training uh, shakes and recovery modalities depending on who's injured or who's having certain rehab. So we add, if we need to, certain collagen uh, proteins if we need, um, also black current, and if we need to with a, a physician's note, getting things like as far as creatine in there as well, uh, depending on as far as if they have history of concussion. Um, so those are the things that we align and add in there. And then we talk to our executive performance chef that we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner available for them. Um, and they are to swipe in there, go in there and eat. And then we have someone doing breakfast checks to make sure that they're eating before and have the opportunity to eat before their training session in practice. Now they're moving to morning practices. And then also checking in after on how much they need to consume um, as far as food wise and then also fluid wise based on how much weight they lost from that training activity too. Um, and then we map around the rest of their day and goal around what they need to have for like lunch and dinner uh, towards, okay, what else you need to do to meet the needs of recovery uh, based upon the fat-free mass that and the activity that you just um, participated in, whether that's practice or whether that's training and what phase of training that we're in. 
Um, so we discuss that and then tell them as, as well, also educate them and, and, and walk with them around the times they need to eat, the time that's uh, the way they need to around their academic schedule. And then also uh, what they need to do if they need to do any supplementation around that, what they are not getting in their overall dietary intake because you have to educate and guide them towards making the right choices too. And having and building that palette around eating the correct way and making sure that the food is right the way that they will enjoy that they're not just thinking that healthy food tastes awful. So you gotta have I, the, the team of chefs to make sure that the food and nutrients I want them to have during certain practice days, certain like increasing omega-3s, increasing antioxidants. How can you provide that? This is the foods that they are in. What menu can you make around that? And then providing those in on particular days around that overall for the team. And then coaching those guys to make those selections around how much they need as far as protein and how much you need of those particular nutrients around different types of intensity of the, of the actual training session or practice. When we talk about the athlete, right, they go through off season and the in season, preseason, all that kind of stuff, right? They go through uh, a whole year of training to lead up to, you know, their performance on Saturdays or, um, you know, the various types of sports and when they play and stuff like that. So is there nutritional differences throughout the year like is the offseason different than the preseason or do y'all fluctuate those numbers depending on the position right your body comp fat-free mass things like that Yep, all the above so you're going to have different um nutrient as far as intake and nutrition modalities around the different phases of the training season offseason is more so for their development training heavy training four times a week sprinting and working on speed work or agility as far as three to four times a week and then also running at those times as well so for conditioning as well so you're, when you're doing that and you're having that amount of intensity uh, for your development what we're providing them is going to be different than what we're going to provide them as far as a little bit in the end season too now in season is more so around times because now the training has kind of backed off a little bit and then now it's more so football, technical, and tactical work. And then also now you're recovering an athlete from the physical stress or from the physical contact. So because of that, that was the, the heightened need of calories has went up exponentially. And then also those antioxidants and omega-3s went up exponentially as well around those times for end season because of the full contact that's been taking place now. So whereas now, even though protein increases with that, the development phase is up there. It's a little bit more so leaner. So that way they can get the most of maximizing the resistance training that they're participating in out of those four to five times out of the week. And then also the speed work that they're doing. And then also making sure that you're getting on as much fat-free mass that that frame can handle uh, while also making sure that they're hydrated well enough to go through the next bout of activity. But they got more ability to rest and recover. So you can maximize the potential of their development in the off season as you're getting to the end season is very much harder. So you got to back off on the training sessions to just get them moving and maintain the fat-free mass that they've gained. And then now you're going towards, okay, but now we've got to take into consideration again, the full contact and that participation in that. So it changes throughout the courses of the season of how you need to coach those guys and educate those guys around the nutrition. That's why I got to be in the weight room and present at all times. And I got to be present in their eating times as well. 
to make sure that they're making the right choices and I can talk to them and coach them around before and after fueling for training. And then also those times that they're kind of relaxed on what they're doing throughout the rest of the day. Yeah, that makes total sense. And you mentioned something a, a while ago that I want to hit on because it becomes a controversial topic in the high school realm, creatine, right? Yeah. So talk to us about the effects of creatine because one, it's always said that uh, creatine damages your kidneys, uh, it causes bloating, things like that. So just for all the coaches out there, set the record straight. What does creatine do for your body? So there's actually a, a um, researcher now that's actually making their life's work around creatine monohydrate and also its effects and if it's safe and if it's efficacious around that. So there's actually two, Eric Rawson and Darren Caldow. Um, and sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, brother. I apologize for that. But if you're listening to this. So but anyways, those two, those two individuals have had countless amount of research around the clinical models around dementia, Alzheimer's, elderly population, and then also in our population as well when it comes into in the athletic models too. So with that being said, all that as far as in the historical context of it causing those kidney stones, kidney damage, um, causing bloating, causing cramps, all that has been debunked based on their research. So, and it's been now proven time after time after time again. So from what you're looking at, as far as with that, creatine monohydrate anyways is an endogenous as far as cellular energy source regardless. So basically if you're having those effects and you're having that negative, uh, that negative concept around that creatine is bad and it causes this, then you might as well just say your whole entire body is bad for you too. Because you're, you're basically using creatine right now as a source of energy and then also when it comes to that too when it comes to concussions that's why it's very valuable as a source of something that the brain can use as a source of energy because that's what the brain needs to use regardless because the inability to use glucose uptake um, and use that as efficiently as it's supposed to because over time in the duration of the injury when it comes to the brain and it has that now that's why creatine comes into effect because now it's something that is more so used and now it can be used efficiently as a source of energy for the recovery of the actual brain. So with that being said, it goes into two parts. It's for good for brain health because of that. The brain can use it as energy and because it takes energy to recover. And then the fat-free mass as far as when it comes to lean muscle mass development and recovery too. And then also if you're using it for high intensity bouts of activity, it's playing football in those two, three seconds per play within the game, then that's what also you're going to use immediately as a source of energy too, that the cells use as energy to move nutrients and move things around. So with that being said, again, that's why <laughs> with all the research that's being done and shown, no, it does not cause those things. That was not the reason it caused those things. There's other factors in there that was not accounted for within old research that they try to say that it caused that. So, and then now the recent research that's coming out, it, the creatine monohydrate has not shown that it has those effects on those individuals. So um, with that being said, you kind of now look at now everyone else, you know, there's, you have some people that have some side effects and negative effects, you got to take into that into respect. But overall, it's healthy, it's safe, 
And if you get a quality product of creatine monohydrate, it can provide those beneficial effects for recovery, for injury rehabilitation, and for also um, and for maintenance and fat-free mass uh, development too. Yeah, and that's something that's always been kind of a controversial topic. It's more non-controversial now since we've had research and we've had evidence of you know creatine being positive in that effect of mental performance, right? Not even just on the field and you know in the classroom too. You know that increases your um, just just mentality or not mentality, but your your mental performance outside of athletics as well. You know, in your academics as well. Yeah, you got to take, man, so also, like, a lot of stuff, too, like, you commonly see creatine in a lot of pre-workouts as well. So, is it the creatine causing that, or is this this other factors that's within certain pre-workouts that's not safe, and then that's also not really third-party tested that that individual or people are taking that that are causing those complications? So, that goes into that situation there, is that... So one, first and foremost, you want your high school athletes and you want them to always look at as far as developing, correcting the nutrition around the foundational components of food um, and, and meet those needs and meet that security of food and having enough of it. And then around that second, when it comes into um, after they've met that and they get towards latter their latter stages of their junior year, high school year, that's when things can, you know, be beneficial towards that, too. Because now they're getting into the age frame of the development that they're starting to have that towards now the next phase when it comes into their maturation before they get into the college setting. Um, and then they continue their development throughout that college setting. And then they go into the professional setting if that's if they end up and being blessed and fortunate enough to make it to that. So that's what you got to think about, too. And then you got to check those pre-workouts that they're actually looking at consuming and they're not telling you about because that's what's really causing the complications. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, when you're young, and I was guilty of it too, I mean, you can take pre-workout and things like that. C4 was a common one when I was in high school. And I mean, you just don't even look at the label of what's inside of it or anything like that. You're right. just like, okay, all right, cool. You know, I, I'm getting 350 milligrams of caffeine in this sweet roll-on. And, you know, you're you're just, you know, you feel like you're 10 feet tall, invincible, bulletproof, but, you know, Later on, those effects, right? If you keep on taking that pre-workout and it starts having yep. those chemicals, those harmful chemicals, and it could be lifelong effects from just simply not reading the label or not understanding what you're taking inside your body. So that, that's yep. a really that's a really good piece of advice for especially high school athletes because a lot of high school athletes just kind of like it says they feel like they're ten feet tall, bulletproof until you know later on in life they start having these effects of their decisions of um taking supplements that are not third party tested or have chemicals and things like that so yep um so let's talk about pre-game meals Mm -hmm. so we when i was in high school it was always the high carb some protein low fat um, before a game. So what do y'all do at LSU to fuel your athletes before they perform? Yeah, so it depends on the time of the game. So if we have a – it depends on the 12 o'clock game or 1 o'clock game, Eastern, your time. It depends if it's a 3.30 game or if it depends if it's a night game, 7 o'clock. So if it is 
the pregame meal. So the earlier the game is, the pregame meal has to actually be considered when it comes into what they're fueling for 24 to 48 hours before that competition. So we're actually looking at as far as um, that glycogen replenishment because we have practice as well. So we're still recovering from those training sessions of practice. Now we're also looking into making sure that we're topping off the fuel storage uh, for one. Um, and then also we're making sure that we're make that they're having enough of the, their protein intake as well to ensure that we're having that muscle recovery before the actual competition. So for those earlier games, depending on what they can digest, I look more so into three and a half hours, um, three hours and 15 minutes, three and a half hours. Some people have been doing four uh, beforehand, but if you have a 12 o'clock game, it's hard to kind of, as far as for them to eat at basically at eight. 19, 11, yep, at 8 o'clock. So that, and you relying on just that 8 o'clock for them to have everything they need after they have fasted overnight, depending on what time you had their last meal as well, um, the day before, and then also that being the only meal, you can run into risk of having complications. So then we have to um, have in consideration. They are eating basically breakfast, lunch, and dinner, dinner at 6.30. Then they have their evening snack as well at 8 get a good night's rest. Um, now we're going into that pregame meal. So because some people don't like to eat a lot in the morning or the day of the game, then that's where you got to come into things as far as certain items and food items that's quickly digestible. A lot of fruit, a lot of um, getting creative as far as like how you're building your omelets with more spinach around that, more vegetables in that, and then also yogurt and oatmeal. And then you have to have to have them guide them to basically eat quick digestible carbohydrates leading up to competition, um, such as you can get those, uh, whether in liquid form or rather in food form, such as applesauces, such as yogurt, such as smoothies as well, uh, within at least hour and a half to two hours before kickoff. And you get it, you get that to them again um, for those earlier games. So we like to do that beforehand to make sure that they have enough and they're eating enough before um, because when it comes into, it's different than when they have a later game because later game, they're eating enough throughout the day to kind of guide them and get their bodies prepped and primed to have enough energy stored and then also have enough energy available for competition. So with that being said, if you have three eating opportunities before the game, you know, by the time we get to pregame meal, like, and then also the competition, they typically have consumed enough. But in the morning games, you have to kind of be creative around, they have that only one, now you're missing two eating opportunities. You have one pregame meal, they may not eat enough because they don't have an appetite early that morning. Now you gotta have something quick and digestible earlier in there in the game, uh, before that, an hour and a half before, give them a smoothie or something of some sort so that way they can start building that up. And then that's where that you have those differences. So it's all about timing. Timing is everything. Um, and then you want to make sure that you have at least three eating opportunities before the game. If not, and it's an earlier game, then you only have one and a half. And then you got a guide to eat, to have things with snacks available, fruit, shoes, uh, Powerade, Gatorade, uh, body armor, um, Electrolyte, as far as when it comes to electrolyte sticks, having those things beforehand so that way they can gradually graze on that during and also um, 
immediately right before competition starts. When I was growing up, right, there's always been the high carbs and some protein there. I really like your y'all's approach where it's like, well, you know, there's some people, and I know plenty of athletes that don't eat in the morning because they don't like how it makes them feel. So I like how you kind of approach that. Well, pregame meals are way before, you know, three hours before kickoff. You know, it's what you ate probably, what you said, the 48 to 72 hours or 24 to 48 hours before that competition is even started. It's kind of like hydration. Hydration doesn't start right before practice, you know, an hour right before practice when you're chugging down water. I mean, hydration is days of consistence, just hydrating yourself over and over yep. and over. So I kind of, I love that approach with what you're all doing at LSU for that. That I think that's completely awesome. And it works with the athletes, especially, you know, if they're having morning classes or morning workouts, whatever, that really just, that fits in with their schedule. That That's completely awesome there. Absolutely. So. Give us some advice for high school coaches, high school strength coaches, high school athletes about how to better our nutrition Um, from, I guess, a systematic standpoint, right? A high school setting, uh, high school football team, right? How do we get all the kids on one program or on a sports nutrition program that will maximize their performance? but also something that they would follow, right? Yeah. I would say, honestly, man, the first things first, if I was in your setting, I would try to figure out what I can do to get the parents to come together or what I could do as far as to get whoever the boosters are around there um, to have just constant fruit or constant food, something around them before you guys start training and practices. On whether or not they ate during lunch, on whether or not they had enough Tommy or they know what to eat, all that. So if you have something available for them, or even if you have somebody local to donate certain things, donate dairy, donate milk, donate yogurt, donate fruit, donate bread, peanut butter and jellies, that will help them at least have some foundation of not going into your sessions completely on empty or worrying about that. Um, so that's where this kind of conversation is around food availability is, is also going to be very key, um, to ensure that, okay, as a coaching staff or as a unit, we have something available for them so they can eat something that is quickly digestible before, and then they can eat this an hour before, hour and a half beforehand, or they can make sure that they're having the fuel they need, uh, before we are demanding a lot out of them in this session. So that's the first thing that I would do. And then the second thing I would do is that having either either routine, like once a month or um, when parents want to check in as far as before that, having some type of in-service or having some type of handout to hand to each uh, player to give to the families around, okay, what can you do? These are quality snack items. These are quality food, like food items. Uh, what can they have for one meal at home? What can they have for snacks around at home that they can eat on um, that are good? So yogurt, fruit, uh, protein bars, beef jerky, eggs, boiled eggs, um, power raising, Gatorades, body armors, um, and then also just in water. Have them have that accessible around them so that way they can snack on that and change what's in the pantry so they can use that, eat that, fuel on that on a consistent basis. 
you got to change what they're what they have available to them at home and then also when they're with you so that's where it can get tricky though because everyone's home situation is a lot different so you got to find it out you got to figure that out and then what are the limitations around that so if they have a very difficult situation at home then now you got to go into okay what can we do here to help them whether that's make having pb and j's here or whether that's having fruit here that they can eat on or having a small refrigerator around here that they can have at least a yogurt before they get into practice so we can at least know around the session they have food to consume and that they are good there that's something that uh we're starting to take a look at here because um i've always believed that if you have healthier athletes you're going to have a healthier school and a lot of your maybe behavioral issues will kind of decrease from there because You know, if you have a healthy body, the mind will follow almost in that regard. Uh, You know, if you feel better physically, then you're going to feel better mentally. And then, you know, that could lead to increases in not only performance, but performance in the classroom as well. You know, if you're not Mm -hmm. feeling like, you know, dog tired from because you just ate McDonald's this morning and last night you ate Pizza Hut, whatever, and you're coming in, you know, class, you're feeling like, you actually, you know, you feel better about your body, about yourself. And, you know, that exactly. also increase like confidence and just everything else. You know, there's a lot of things that can go into just changing a lifestyle. Even, you know, yeah, just change the lifestyle of an athlete. You know, it can not just only increase their performance on the field court or whatever, but also maybe at home. Maybe they become more of a happier person because of their lifestyle changes um kind of wrapping up things here so last thing we have is conjugate coach spotlight so is there a coach that you want to highlight or someone that you think is making an impact in the sports nutrition world man i will say so one i'm gonna say my current coach right now coach jake flint um how he does everything around uh that what we do with strength conditioning, athletic development, man, phenomenal, man. And he doesn't realize, but, you know, he's kind of a mentor of mine uh, when it comes to just how he handles himself, how he handles his business, how he, hand, how he balances his personal and also professional setting. And then also what he sets as uh, for him as a representation of how our team needs to, you know, be as men. Um, phenomenal individual, man. So that's one person I would say that's been great when it comes to coaching as an athletic development and strength conditioning. And then also uh, within personal development as well. That's phenomenal. As far as the sports nutrition, um, I, I look to, it's not one sole source, man. Um, as far as when it comes into that, like I like to like, I like to have a, you know, variety of inputs and intakes and also, you know, theories around how certain things work, no matter what. So, cause I'm not one size as far as like, this is the one way to go. This is completely right. Cause actually, you know, there's some, there's some issues and there's some things with certain people. Um, you know, Huberman does a good job with who he brings in. Um, so in, in that podcast, when it comes into some type of nutrition uh, resources, um, Asker Jump does a great job of the resources there. Um, you have pioneers in our field when it comes into sports nutrition. That's done a phenomenal job with how even in collegiate setting, um, that's been looked for what they're doing here. Because nutrition has a variety of, of different avenues, man. It has a variety of different avenues. 
So and different professionals in there. So um, that's been great. I can tell you this though. Uh, so when it comes into like those resources and those things, depending on what things you're looking at, um, the sports nutrition manual has been, is a great resource um, that shows different professionals in there and what they kind of, you know, look into and mastered in and because of the athletes they work with on a day-to-day basis. Um, and that's through the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and that sports nutrition manual has been, been great. Um, Alan Aragon or Aragon as well from Flexible uh, Dieting, I believe he made that book, but he has a lot of great resources for what he does uh, and nutrition. So those are people that I'm looking at when it comes to those resources, when they have things available and who they bring on, who they communicate with. I'm looking at, okay, let me learn more about what they're doing. Uh, I want to have a conversation more with them on what they're doing. And then maybe even hopefully I get to a point to where I'm a great resources. I'm a great resource around that too. Um, and I can continue developing and be innovative around these things and developing uh, performance nutrition. So that's awesome, Dr. Frakes. I can call you that, right, Dr. Frakes? Yeah, that's good, my man. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just right. whatever you want. Just let me help. <laughs> well, I want to thank you uh, for coming on. I think this is something that a lot of, especially high school coaches and maybe even athletes listening on to this, will get a lot out of. Um, you know, when we come to strength and conditioning in the high school realm and even some of the collegiate, you know, we focus a lot on, you know, your methods in the weight room and sprint mechanics and uh, trifacial training, conjugate, whatever. And I think nutrition also kind of gets almost subsided um, because we're like, well, just just eat. You know, we don't really know the, the ins and outs or the specifics of what athletes need. So I think that's this would be something a great, a great resource for any coaches or athletes, you know, run the weight room or in the strength and conditioning program right now. So absolutely, man. Absolutely. So yeah, don't hesitate to reach out to me if you need anything. Um uh, I guess you're gonna probably tell them where my social media is, but you know, it's it's superior freaks on all Twitter and Instagram, everything's one word. Um and then also feel free to reach out to me at on my email address as well. So I'm basically uh, whatever you need me to be or any type of help in some shape or form, just let me know. So, Yes, sir. Absolutely. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Please follow our social medias at Conjugate Chat Podcast on Twitter and TikTok. Also, follow Dr. Matt Frakes on his social medias as well. Remain strength, stay strong, and have a day today.